Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Suns Jam Session Podcast, which is on the bright side of the Sun Network. I'm your host, John, and I'm joined by Matthew, as per usual. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, John. How are you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. You know, this was uh, the last, last dance episodes that we watched last night. We're recording this on Monday, and it was a great watch, and it was kind of sad to see it go, isn't it? It was sad, yeah. Um... It was a great ending, though. Honestly, I think it was the, the perfect amount of Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Uh, if it went any longer, of course, I would watch it. But I think it was just the right amount of documentary that I needed. <laughs> yeah, I think they did a great job of putting it together. It probably could have been six episodes, but they extended yeah. a few stories out and extrapolated on a few playoff series. But again, it's been something that's nice to watch and look forward to on Sunday evenings. And now we don't have that. And now who knows what the hell we're going to talk about at all. I have no Sex idea. Sex in the City. Oh, is that We a... can do a rewatchables on that. You want to do that? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Please, God, no. All right. Just an idea. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about on this podcast. We're going to be doing our Last Dance discussion, episodes 9 and 10. Uh, but before we do that, we'll always remind you to follow the, uh, the show on Twitter, at Suns Jam. You can email the show, session at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Darth Voida. And you can follow Matthew on Twitter. At Matthew Lissy. And that's where you can follow us and such. We're going to have to pop open a beer because this is the last one. Yeah, Hell, I want to pop open right some champagne, but... The champagne that I have in my closet <laughs> or in my uh, my pantry, I'm saving yeah. for a very special occasion. Yep. If and when the Dodgers ever win the World Series, I'm going to pop that motherfucker open. Well, let's just do a Coors Light for right now, right? There you go. Coors Light sounds good. So let's pop these bad boys open. <laughs> All right. And uh, what time is it? Game time. Game time. Hooah. Hooah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk the last dance. What time is it? Game time. Hoo. All right, so that was it. Last last dance last night. And I just got to ask initially, what are your thoughts on the episodes that we watched last night and the documentary as a whole? So rating out of the, out of the gate, I give it an 8 out of 10. Okay. That's my rating for it all. I thought it was good. I, th- I didn't think it was great. Uh, I think we got some good stuff, though, in there. Um, about eight great parts throughout the whole um, 10 episodes to where a lot of good behind-the-scenes stuff towards the end, I think. Uh, stuff I really wanted to see and a lot of emotional Michael Jordan, which is, I feel like just really legitimate, legitimately him. That's, that's who he is. And I, I, we really got to see it and I love to see it even in the interview. I feel like I could just watch him answer questions for an hour or two hours. If it's just him answering questions, cause mm-hmm. he's just so real and we got to see a lot of that. And I loved it. What did you think? I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Who won the documentary? It's emotional Michael Jordan. It's the guy who sacrificed personal relationships in an effort to be the best, the greatest. You know, leadership has a price. And he gave up, you know, smoking and joking with a lot of his fellow teammates in an effort to exert his alpha dogness, you know, I mean, he smoked yeah. and joked with his security guards. And again, they showcased in episodes nine and 10, a little bit of uh, uh, more of that relationship that he had with them. But I mean, that's, 
what it cost him was personal relationships. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about the difference between Kobe and Mike is Mike gave up everything in an effort to be great. And that include those personal relationships where Kobe, once he was done with basketball, even though we only got a, unfortunately a short snippet of that, like three years, you know, he was much happier post basketball because of the way he kind of lived his life. And it was actually kind of interesting in episode nine around the beginning, they had a very short segment in which both of Michael jo- or three of Michael Jordan's kids were there. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh shit. Michael does have a family. I mean, they didn't talk about his family the entire documentary. No, they, they don't. And they don't talk about his wife. And I just found out like he had a car with the, the initials on his license plate of her. And you don't get to see any of them, right? Like you don't. And I mean, it's fine, I guess. But what would the family have to say? Were they even really around him that much? You know what I mean? Because they were just talking about we really never even went to games. And mm-hmm. I, don't even, I don't even know if it was just the Utah Jazz series. But I feel like they just were never – at the games, even though sometimes you saw him in the locker room in the 98 season where you would see the kids in there in the locker room in his little office, it looked like his, I think those were his kids just hanging around. <laughs> I hope so, so. Yeah, I think they grew up in it, but we didn't really get, get any like good insight on what they thought and like, like them being around all the players and all the media, how crazy it was. We never knew that they existed till the last episode, something mm-hmm. they threw in there. But again, I mean, why are they not around? Uh, there's probably a couple different reasons. I know that it didn't end well with his first wife. So there's probably not a lot of insight into that relationship uh, and how that kind of affected his basketball career. But also, I mean, he sacrificed those relationships. He was putting the work in to the point where he wasn't around his family. He was isolated. And again, yeah. that's, in my opinion, who won the doc was emotional Mike. Cause those are the moments that when you go back and, you know, now that we've seen this entire 10 part docuseries, you go, okay, well, what, what's your, what's your initial takeaway? And that for me, that's what it is, is the price of greatness and how Michael Jordan kind of recognizes that and that he smokes extremely long cigars. I oh, mean, yeah. that last long... one. Yeah, yeah, man. And that's in his hands. You know, that yeah. thing's got to be like the size of my, like my calf. Yeah. He probably yeah. rolls those right by now. You uh, think he rolls yeah. his own cigars? Yeah, right. He it's Michael to, right? Jordan, dude. He's got like seven people who, they're his cigar rollers for him. Oh, they did. Well, then that's seven people right there rolling one cigar. That's how big it is. <laughs> it's huge. It's like <laughs> one of those uh, party subs from Subway. <laughs> it is, yeah. So what were your favorite parts of episode nine and 10? Uh, favorite parts, anytime Michael's talking. Um, mm-hmm. I think that one that's, I mean, it's probably not even a cool part, but for me, I'd love to see it, which was um, when they would have the press conferences and Michael would get done talking, he'd come backstage and it's like um, Malone and Stockton are just sitting there waiting. Like for some yeah. reason, I just thought that was so cool. Yeah. And then the whole part with like Larry Bird coming at the end, like talking shit. Well, he was, Jordan was talking shit to Bird. He was just saying, congratulations. And then Malone going on the bus to say thanks to everybody or mm-hmm. not thank you, but, you know, good game, basically. Stuff like that. Anything that is behind the scenes, I feel like we got a little bit more of it, but it's still like it's not the greatest stuff. But just that little snippet of it, I just – I loved it, dude. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how you have Michael Jordan after – beating the jazz in the 1997 NBA finals and he's in a nice suit and then he comes off stage and then there's like John Stockton and Carl Malone looking like golf dads, you know, with like their tucked in shirts into their jean shorts uh, going to go address the media and how sad uh, that they looked. I mean, it looked 
Like they were pretty obviously upset. They looked beat up. Yes, for sure. So I thought it was really funny how even before the opening credits began, there's Michael Jordan throwing a ball off of Mark Jackson's head. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, like he's so frustrated with the fouls and the physicality that the Indiana Pacers provided in the 1998 NBA Eastern Conference Finals that when he gets fouled, he just chucks the ball off Mark Jackson's head. I mean, he'd get thrown out of the game nowadays for that move, right? I don't know. Would he? Definitely I'd, be a double technical, so maybe it, that's a it might, <laughs> that's it's an a, objection. It, it's a, yeah, it's a flagrant two. You're gone, son. Like, Mark Jackson gets two free throws in the ball on that play. Like, them, there's yeah. like, hey, man, chill out, Mike. Yeah, I know. But then you think, like, when I was thinking about it, first when they start out with the Pacers – I'm like, wow, this team might have been great. Like uh, Reggie Miller, they mm-hmm. really they really made him seem to be basically the second best player in the league to me. That's the way they like started the episode nine. And I'm like, oh, was he really? And then all of a sudden he doesn't even like – he scores two points in the second half of one of the games. And you just see really like how much better Jordan and the Bulls were. And I feel like Jordan like throwing the ball off of Mark Jackson's head was kind of just like him saying like, like I'm not scared of these guys. I I – like there's no fear. I think it's just maybe a little bit of a boredom thing too. I know he's probably frustrated, but I just think he can get away with that. Cause he knows like they, they can't do anything. They're not going to be able to beat the bulls. So he can, he can do things like that. I don't know. It's just, that's the way I think of it. Well, and the Pacers were a formidable foe. That's for sure. They were a team that was extremely well built at the time. And they talked about it. I remember Rick Smith's at center. Uh, he was a, a very technically sound, solid center. wasn't. Yeah. I think he made a couple all-star teams, but wasn't you know crazy. But then you had the Davis brothers, you had Mark Jackson, you had Chris Mullen, and you, you had a bunch of guys who could shoot. And it's a team that I feel like if you get rid of Smiths and you put somebody a little bit more athletic in there, uh, that really would have probably beat the Bulls. I mean, you look at it, that series, there's only a couple games that, you know, the Bulls won – by a couple points. I mean, it could have gone either way. And that's one thing I really noticed in going back and watching a lot of these scores was how close a lot of these games were, not just in that series, but in every series across the board. The Bulls played such a different style of basketball than what we're used to today that it made for low-scoring defensive battles that were only determined by a possession or two. It just so happened that those possessions went the Bulls' way and they came out victorious every time. And that's what greatness is, is the ability to get to the Pantheon and then have the ability to execute in those tight situations again, again, and again. Other than, I think it was, what, game three of the NBA Finals in 98 when the Jazz scored 54 fucking points? I mean, other than yeah, that, I mean, yeah. every game there was close. With the Pacers, it was close. Uh, hitting those big shots, I mean, it was just – it's crazy how different the NBA was back then yeah but i think a lot of that too is i think the bulls just knew how much better they were they know if they're just in that situation they're gonna win like Mm -hmm. they've been there before i mean that's basically what you just said but like they've been in those situations so the effort is always there but i feel like them putting a team away is just the more effort that they can't expense basically like they're exhausted from all the championships before so then they go into these games just kind of like you know we can as if we're in the fourth quarter, we're tied, and it was always tied with like eight or nine minutes to go. Like, we're fine. We got this game. And then you see the other team, the Pacers, they just can't handle it. And mm-hmm. they, they deflate, and they just they go away. And that's just something the Bulls did the teams, and it was easy for them. 
and in game seven of that Eastern Conference Finals, they were talking about the importance of a jump ball that happened between Jordan and Smith. There were six minutes left in the game. Yeah, I, you that know? was and, crazy. And that's, but to your point, that's what it was like. They're like, listen, you know, we have an opportunity to pounce. There's yeah. one possession that doesn't go our way in the last six minutes. We know we're fucked because yeah. they have the greatest basketball player of all time on their team and they're experienced. They know how to do this. They grind other teams down physically. And because of that, they shut them down in the last two to three minutes. I yeah. Mean, but again, I mean, Jordan and those teams, they could be down with a minute left and somehow they pulled it out again and again and again. Every uh, time. Every time. Every time. Let's, uh, let's talk Reggie Miller real quick. Yeah. You know, Reggie's one of those guys who was a mainstay throughout the 90s, really didn't get a lot of recognition for the work that he put in. And then at the back end of the 90s, really started to elevate that team kind of near the back end of his career. You know, 97 is when he really started to take off because he finally broke on through and got to the Eastern Conference Finals and started having those battles with the Bulls. And then, of course, they went on and uh, lost to the uh, Lakers. I want to say it was the 2000 NBA Finals or the 2001. I don't remember which one it was. I think a one was uh, uh, Jason Kidd in the Nets. So it was 2000. 2000. Yeah. Right. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it was Nets back to back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, I mean, those were some really good teams. But I was taking a look at Reggie Miller. And you look at the 97 season in which he played in that Easter Conference Finals against Jordan and the Bulls, and that was actually the most three-per-games he took in his career, and he averaged 6.6 three-pointers per game. So Reggie Miller, you know, who was a 39.5% shooter from beyond the arc, was only shooting six and a half a game. I mean, mm-hmm. I, DeAndre Ayton's going to be shooting that here pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's something we always I mean anytime we go back in a podcast and we do anything from before 2010 or 2000, you know, 2015, it's always like you see this where they're the best three-pointers in the league are only shooting at six threes a game. Yeah, such a you know, different so, NBA. Yeah, it's just totally different. And then you also just see like so Reggie Miller the way they made him seem, if like I didn't know anything about back basketball if you started the episode episode nine it's just like oh man this good this guy is great mm-hmm. but then you look at his numbers it's just like i don't know it's just like it's, it's so up and down it, it just reminds me of like a, the carl malone in the playoffs where it's just up and down up and down he had like the one good game in 98 but mm-hmm. it's just like these guys you can't count on to score consistently and like they'll throw up the 28 point game the 38 point game but then if you're putting up 17 points 21 points as the number one score on the team like that's not enough at all. Well, and I think Reggie Miller wasn't great, but he was clutch. Because in that time frame, in the mid-90s, there's the 30 for 30 documentary about Reggie Miller when he scored like, what was it, eight points in seven seconds or something against the Knicks, Yeah, which was an amazing uh, three yeah. possessions. And then he was, known, he was just known for taking the big threes and not being afraid of taking the big threes. So was he great? No, because to your point, he wasn't consistent. He wasn't, I mean, his career points per game is 18.2. His highest season he ever had was actually the 89-90 season when he averaged 24.6 points per game. I mean, he hovered around 20 points per game pretty much the entirety of his career and through his prime. A couple seasons with 22 points per game, but for the most part, right around 20 points per game. So again, not great, but he's memorable because he's clutch. Because he mm-hmm. took threes in a time when guys weren't taking threes with regularity, Reggie Miller was taking those threes. Who do you think his NBA comp is currently? NBA comp? 
Um, oh man, I don't know. I was thinking he just reminds me of like, what is he like a poor man's Kevin Durant or something or his numbers and stuff are kind of like bookers a few years ago, but I don't know who would it be. I'm thinking clay Thompson, just, okay. in the, just in the way, not, not defensively. I mean, clay Thompson is an elite defender, but the way that Reggie used to come off of double back screens and catch the ball behind the three point line, just turn and shoot. I mean, yeah. that's clay Thompson's uh, wheelhouse. I mean, that guy's what, what did he score? Like, 27 points in a quarter and he, and he dribbled the ball like seven times. Yeah. Some rid- he's the most statistic. dangerous man on the planet, dude. He's scary. Yeah. He's sharpshooter. And that's what Reggie Miller was back then. Yeah. He was the one guy who, if time's running out and you needed a three, you'd want to go to Reggie. I'd even say over Jordan. Jordan wasn't a fantastic three point shooter. He was a deadly shooter, but he wasn't the three point guy. Reggie Miller was the three point guy. Yeah, his win shares are actually compared to uh, Kobe Bryant, Gary Payton, John Stockton, mm-hmm. Clyde Drexler. But you're just talking about the similar kind of like actual game, like yeah. the game he had. Yeah, how, how no, he's I could utilized. Definitely see Clay. And I definitely think he was a Reg, uh, he like Reggie was ahead of his time, right? Oh yeah, like if he was playing now, like he said, the three point attempts per game would be ten, and <laughs> you know he'd be probably the number two, number three scorer in the league. Um, I don't know if he'd be the best player on his team, but maybe he would because he'd be shooting more. But so even I, then, I did a little math. Okay, if he averaged seven three pointers a game, like Clay is currently averaging for his career, extrapolated over every season but his rookie year at each season's three point percentage. So saying that instead of shooting four point five threes per game in whatever ninety two, he shot seven. Taking that with his uh, shooting percentage from downtown that year he would have averaged a full two points more per game in his entire career. He would have had seasons with 27 points a game. And to your point, you add it, you make that eight over the same eight attempts a game over the same percentages. And yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous the scoring that he could have done if he had been in a different era. Now, granted you could do that with pretty much anybody who shot the three ball well, uh, or just played at the pace of play that this current NBA goes in. Uh, their numbers are going to be higher. But I think with Reggie Miller, he's somebody who was just about, you know, 15 years too early to the party because he would have been a perennial first all or all NBA first teamer with his scoring ability if he had played 15 years later. Yeah, he would have had a lot more uh, free time to shoot. And I think that uh, the whole comparisons between, you know, generations and decades and stuff like that, I'm not a big fan of. I'm really not um, because we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so- you never will. And you never will. So I, I like leaving it the way it is, just like this doc. I like leaving the Bulls the way they are. And I feel like they didn't show enough in this documentary to like actually have any effect on Jordan's reputation. I know people say he's a dick, but I think people already knew that. I mean, even mm-hmm. my dad's not even watching this. He says, oh, yeah, that guy was a real jerk. So it's like <laughs> – so, I mean, people knew that. It's just like we didn't get any more information to make it, you know, cross the line to where it's like, oh, maybe we should take a statue down, stuff like that. So I'm glad I didn't get to that point. I know a lot of people now are kind of um, – they're kind of hesitant on saying he's the best player ever just because of the way he treated his, his teammates. And you don't have to lead that way anymore. You don't have to be that kind of guy to win championships. Um, so that's the only thing. It's just basically saying you can be like Mike I heard today. You can be like him, but you can be better in that, in that way. Well, I know at the end of this podcast, I really kind of want to get into the – the goat conversation, but yeah. I do want to say something that Always. I saw what was interesting was they had Brian Windhorst on the, on ESPN last night after the doc. Yeah. And of course he's LeBron's guy. 
And, he, you know, they were kind of asking him, it's like, so, you know, do you think he's the GOAT? And his response was, you know, he's like, well, you know, ask Jordan's teammates if he's the GOAT. You know, then ask LeBron James' teammates, you know, just on how he treats them and talking about the relationships that Jordan had with his teammates versus the relationships that LeBron has with his teammates and kind of making that case as LeBron is the GOAT there. And I think it'd be interesting if you actually did that, Mr. Windhorst, because although Jordan's teammates probably weren't the biggest fan of his actions and the way that he treated them, at the end of every season, they ended up with the title in their hand. They got paid more money in the long run because they were uh, part of those teams. And they understood the price of that. Jordan's a dick, but we're winning. You know, LeBron's boys with his team. He's, he's doing the Harlem Shake and whatnot. But he's also taken down head coaches, forced the hands of GMs. And, I mean, I think we all saw the play with J.R. Smith, right, where he pretty much I've – never, I've never seen Jordan that upset with somebody right in the middle of the court on, in the middle of the NBA Finals instead of pulling oh, him aside. Yeah. And saying like, hey, douchebag, why'd you do this? You know, he did that. LeBron did that yeah. right in the middle of the court. So although LeBron's, you know, teammates might think he's a, a nicer guy, if you will, I'm sure that they would have sacrificed LeBron being nicer if he had won a couple more rings for him. Yeah, see, that's tough because I think even in the MJ doc, they didn't really show any close-ups of him arguing or being upset with players. But I, I could see him on the other side of the court anytime, like even in the 98 finals when Malone would get a shot off and make it, you know, no one's on him. Because, you know, defensive in the NBA is probably the, one of the toughest things to do. And I think when players mess up, I can see MJ on the other side still throwing a little bit of a fit. So I don't know because I'd never seen him like in, in live or watching him TV back then. But I still think that stuff happened behind the scenes more than anything. I completely and, agree that it did. I mean, Michael Jordan in the few – behind the scenes, you know, snippets that we got that we were promised, but we never received in this documentary. He was calling them bitches never. and hoes. I'm sure yeah. LeBron's done something similar, but he doesn't carry with him that demand for excellence of yeah. other people. And don't get me wrong. LeBron probably asks them of himself. And anytime I'm just going to throw this out here real quick. Anytime you put LeBron in the same conversation with Michael Jordan, respect the fact that LeBron is in that conversation at all. Yeah. The, well, what, he, what he you have to do beginning. to get there yeah, and, and maintain that status through everything he had to do just to, because everyone said this could be the next Jordan. This could be the, the greatest player ever. This could be from the time he was a junior in high school, they were saying this. And he's had to carry that weight with him throughout his entire career. And he's, he's conducted himself in, for the most part, an exemplary manner. So I'm, I'm not discrediting the fact that LeBron James is a fantastic individual and one of the top three players in NBA history. But what I'm saying is if we're going to start picking nits here, you know, I don't care if his teammates don't think that he's a swell guy. Winning's what matters. Yeah. Um, there's just so many ways to go because I think, okay, the thing is with LeBron, I think LeBron is, he's, he's right in the middle between like an A-Rod and MJ. A-Rod is, I want everyone to like me so much that they fucking hate me because they don't like me <laughs> because I want them to like me. So he's like right in between those two. And I think what LeBron does, and he started his career wearing number 23. So it's like, you don't want to be compared to Jordan, but you start out your career, you're wearing number 23. But I think he just, he was too late to the party in a way where he wanted to start his career and he loved Jordan. Of course he idolized him, but he didn't want to be Jordan, but he wore 23 because he loved Jordan, but he didn't think it would be a big deal. Everything turns into a big deal when you're LeBron. 
And I think he was just years too late to the party, meaning like he never got established with a great head coach like Phil Jackson. Mm -hmm. And he just, he never had the teammate with him. And so he was with Wade, like Cleveland did a terrible job with LeBron's team, even though LeBron, I feel like did quit in that Boston series. I feel like he gave up a lot, a lot of times in series where I'm just like, I'm watching him play the Warriors, even with Durant. And I'm like, I still want LeBron to win this series. Cause I feel like he's a, the best player on the court, but he doesn't have the help. But then also I just see him giving up a lot too. And of course that's not what you saw in MJ mm-hmm. ever, ever. And I, it's just, it's tough, man. But I I'll always like, I like LeBron just because I got to watch. I him. don't. And, and no, I'm not, I know. And that's a valid point you make there. I mean, that's yeah. why I, that's why I was so excited for this documentary co- to come out is because so many people who haven't seen Jordan, they just know the stories, but they haven't actually yeah. seen footage and understanding of Jordan are going to go with LeBron as the goat. Cause that's what you saw. That's what, you know, you've experienced it. And that's what made this fun is this was a- an actual experience. So if you look at LeBron James and his uh, wind share scores, do you know who he is most similar to? per basketball reference uh magic johnson right nope the guy who jordan had to take on in the 97 98 finals carl malone oh really okay and i actually think that's a very interesting same kind comp of if you look at yeah, same <laughs> kind of build but completely different attack of the game because of the way the game was played yeah carl malone came in the league in 1985 i want to say and yeah. he was part of a high pick and roll or a side pick and roll type of offense where a six nine power forward built like a brick shit house a guy who took care of his body year round which a lot of guys weren't doing in the late 80s and early 90s and you know it's it's like if lebron didn't care about his body he would be a fat piece of shit the carl malone would have done the same thing but he was somebody who was actually somewhat revolutionary in the way that he took care of his body but he just came in he played in a mm-hmm. different nba and I found it interesting. I'm like, oh, so everyone's like, well, if Jordan played Malone, it's like, or if Jordan played LeBron, it's like, well, he kind of did in Carl Malone, but obviously Carl Malone didn't have the athleticism and the court vision that LeBron has. I mean, those are those, those other skills, but that was uh, my weak transition to start talking about the, the Utah jazz. <laughs> yeah. And just really quick, I do think uh, MJ is the go. I really do think he is. Um, the biggest reason and like the main reason for me is just because of how much he lost before he got to the top. Mm-hmm. Like just watching the documentary was exhausting to be like, okay, you're going to do this again next year. Yes. It's like you just lost a heartbreak year after year after year, but you're going to come back and you're going to do it again. Like I was just exhausted watching that. I'm like, man, this guy has no quit. Like he's back in it right after the season's over. And I've seen LeBron do that too. Of course he's on Instagram doing that, but I just, for him to keep doing that and coming back year after year, even though he took a break, I just, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So. So Carl Malone and John Stockton, and that's what these last two episodes primarily focused on. Cause that was the, the teams that uh, they went against in those last two NBA finals, 97, 98 was both against good old Utah jazz. Uh, what are your thoughts on Malone and Stockton and those teams? Um, my Did, thoughts you remember well, them at one all? thing that blew my mind no i don't remember it but i one thing that blew my mind is i never seen john stockton hit that game winner in game six against the houston rockets mm-hmm. or the finals that's the uh, first time i've ever uh, seen it on really? that court i watched never that game yeah so I, I had no idea that happened i know carl malone uh he liked little kids or something back then but that's all i know i mean i know he would could never like go get over the hump because he just 
failed to show up in games, but you tell me, what do, what do you remember? Well, it was funny watching those highlights because I remember all those players. Like number 10, Isley. I was like, oh, Howard Isley. Oh, there's Greg Ostertag. You know, oh, Jeff yeah. Hornacek. Oh, yeah, Horny Hornacek. I forgot that he left the Suns and he ended up <laughs> yeah. in uh, Utah, you know? Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Byron Russell. I mean, it was it was funny watching these and just remembering all those guys. I mean, at this point in my life, when they started – when they played the – jazz in 97 i was 14 almost 15 years old so i definitely remember these games i mean don't get me wrong i remember a lot going back to the, like the 1988 season but i remember extensively watching these games and both sides watching the western conference because you look at 97 and those nba playoffs you know the the suns lost in that first round that year to the seattle supersonics yeah and it was a series that you know the, the suns were the number two seed coming in uh, they were going against the Sonics, who they'd had some success against, but it was a team that had been in the NBA Finals the year before, so you really didn't expect too much. You know, Rex Chapman was uh, was on that team, and, you know, we were kind of on the back end of our success opportunities, I feel. And then you had the Jazz, who just kind of marched right through those playoffs. And the, the thing about the Jazz is they were never really a hated team for me mm-hmm. growing up because – like they never really played the Suns. You yeah, know, they, they never did. Yeah, I mean, you look at their playoff history in the '90s, and they only met twice. And the Suns beat the Jazz in the first round of the of 1990, and then they lost to the Jazz in the first round of 1991. So after that, during all those really great Suns teams, 92, 93, and then the two losses against Houston in '94 and then '95, like they they didn't play the Jazz at all. So it's not like they had to get through the Jazz to play the Bulls or get mm-hmm. to the Jazz before losing to Houston. So when they were kind of coming through, they're just kind of a corny team. That's what I remember about the Jazz. They were a corny team. They had those stupid-looking jerseys, which I was not a fan of. They were boring, basic basketball. They were high pick and roll with Stockton and Malone. They didn't really even surround them with shooters. I mean, Hornacek was a shooter, and I liked him. But all the other guys were just kind of defensive guys. That's who they kind of built their premise on. So when they marched to the uh, to the NBA Finals in that first year back in 97, I was actually kind of surprised. You know, they beat the Houston Rockets. And that was a team that I feel like should have played better. Uh, I know that I think Charles Barkley was injured in that series because that was when Barkley was now with, yeah, with them. Yeah. And they had – like Eddie Johnson was on that team. Clyde Drexler was on that team. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon's on that team, but he, for some reason, after winning two championships, he did not have a great season. And Barkley was on that team. Now, I thought that was like I thought the Bulls were going to end up playing the Rockets, and I thought we were finally going to see. It's like okay, you guys are winning titles when Jordan's not at a, isn't back and ready. Okay, now he's back and ready. He beat the he beat the Sonics last year. Now he's going to play the Rockets, and then the Jazz kind of, in my opinion, upset them. So so they kind of just came out of nowhere. Just you think they're just kind of overlooked. They're just one of those teams that consistently makes the playoffs and just does, never did shit yeah. for the longest time because they were always in the playoffs, but they can never do shit. You know, they're kind of like – That's kind of like them now. <laughs> That's the way they are now, right? Yeah, like them and the Nuggets. Yeah, them Just and the parentally nuggets. in there and just, you know, oh, yeah, they made the first round. Oh, they lost. Or every now and then they'll get to the second round, but yeah. never did yes. anything. Somebody so will bet on them, but just one person out of 20. 
Yeah, and the guy's from Utah, or like his girlfriend, you know, went has a friend who went to BYU once or something. Or he's white. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's another thing. You notice a lot all those white people in the crowd when they're playing. It's still like that. Yeah, oh yeah, it still is. But it was just funny seeing how crazy those Utah fans (laughs) are. They do the whiteout. Bunch of crazy white white people. (laughs) (laughs) The one that was yelling on behind the bench to start episode nine was hilarious. Who was the guy she was behind? I cannot. Oh, I couldn't make it out. It was uh, Joe Klein. Joe Klein. Joe Klein. That is Joe Klein. He's still on the menu at Marley's. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, he is. (laughs) But you look at those ninety that ninety seven team and then the ninety eight team, who you know they said got better in the dock, but I actually think got worse because. Again, they had, Greg Ostertag wasn't that great of a center. And again, it's late, you know, mid to late 90s basketball. But if we have Carl Malone, you need to have more of a stretch guy. <laughs> I mean, Ostertag would just clog up the paint. But yeah, very, very dull team. I mean, even yeah, like the boring. even Russell, it's funny because Russell, you see him in every highlight. Like yeah. every, every highlight with Jordan shooting or, you know, shooting the shot to win or any, any player that's has the ball i feel like he's guarding him and you know getting shot over and then calling the timeout it seemed like that was the whole episode nine and ten yeah it was all brian russell just getting owned after he like once told mj uh like hey man you it's a good thing you retired he's like i'll remember you yeah see that's the thing okay so this thing with jordan and people talking crap to him and then him remembering it and using it as like you know momentum and stuff going in the next game i mean there's hundreds thousands of people that probably say stuff to michael right yeah but there's only one guy there's only one guy who would use that against you at all times and remember it and that's just kind of you know you want to talk about the asshole part of michael jordan that's him being an asshole he holds every grudge yeah he, you know? he does. And you can tell too. And I, I think a lot of it too, is just him having a hard time with relationships with people. Exactly. I just don't think he's the way Kobe was Kobe. Like they talk about that a lot with the way Kobe was around people to where it was, he was very socially awkward because he just wasn't used to it. And then he started to, you know, kind of gain some more momentum into like um, gaining relationships with people and like actually knowing how to treat people in a way. That's the way he was before he passed away. And then it's just, I don't think Jordan's ever gotten there. I think Jordan's just always loved to be by himself. That's all he needed, even though it's really sad to watch him now because he's, he's all right, so he won six championships, greatest of all time, and he's just crying in a documentary. He's just so upset. It seems like every, t- every chance that they get to where he's talking about something going back to any kind of any year, uh, any moment, just it's really upsetting to him. It, it seems like, I don't know if it's, because he knows he's lost so much of his life to basketball and he can't get it back or is it just because of everything he put into it maybe it's a mixture but it's just it's really strange to see him just so upset and everything but i mean that that might be what it is when like when when you've been through all of that and then you're here now talking about it for not the first time but the real time people get to hear you i think that maybe that finally just took a toll on him and he's just you know he's even kobe's uh, when Kobe passed away and he was up there talking and mm-hmm. the eulogy, he was crying. Like, I feel like it's just, he's very emotional and he just takes everything really, really to heart. And we just don't understand it because he didn't know how to really re, uh, act around people. No, I completely agree. And that's why I said at the front end of this podcast, that was my biggest takeaway was just emotional Jordan and how much winning cost him. Yeah. You know, he won everything, but it cost him those personal relationships that are so valuable to the social fabric of who we are as human beings. And I think that's, again, what he lost and what he's kind of recognizing in sitting in these long interviewing sessions 
that he did with uh, the producer and the directors and such. So, uh, but back to uh, the Utah Jazz. 1997 NBA Finals, they touched on that and how, you know, Jordan, again, we were talking about using fuel. You know, uh, you look at his MVP losing it to Carl Malone. That was kind of his um, fuel for that 97 NBA Finals. Yeah. He, he has a legitimate case, though. I mean, Jordan. No, that's a good one. You go back and you look at all the statistics in that year. Carl uh, Malone came in second in scoring, and yeah. first was Michael Jordan. Uh you know, he was 11th in rebounding. He wasn't in the top 20 in blocks. You look at win shares, he's number two to Jordan. And across the board, he's kind of behind Jordan almost every statistical category. Now, granted, he's pretty close, and he clearly had a great year. But I don't know why Jordan didn't win the MVP that year. I remember when it happened, it was a lot of outrage. Yeah. And I don't remember what the final MVP voting was, how close it was. But the fact that Carl Malone got one, it's – Barkley earned his in 93 Barkley earned that one I believe that Barkley was the best player in the NBA in 1993 yeah I don't think anybody's gonna argue that yeah but 97 to Carl Malone no and Carl Malone won it in 99 he won it in the the year after Jordan left and the it was a, a shortened season due to the lockout but still he won it then it's like that's when you can give him you know his MVP you don't got to take one from Jordan because Jordan should have six at least yeah he should but I mean, his his thing was, you know, you're going to win that, and I'm just going to win finals MVP. So not really a big deal to him. I know he, he he won five MVPs, though, man. I think, what does LeBron have, like four? I don't know. Does he have three or four? I think LeBron has three or four, but he can literally win it every year if he wanted to. And he, he should. I'm sure there's years. I think there's two or three years in his career, LeBron's career, where he should have won MVP, but they don't choose him because you have Giannis – and his team wins 800 games a season. You know what I mean? So yeah. the seasons don't matter as much. But, um, yeah, he's a four-time MVP. So Yeah, and well, that's kind of like the Shaq and the Kobe argument. They both only won one MVP. Like yeah. I saw something the other day where Lakers fans were kind of like, Nash won two and Kobe and Shaq won two combined. Something's not right here. That time in the NBA, there wasn't a dominant player like LeBron. You know, LeBron, yeah, four-time MVP. But yeah. when Kevin Durant won his, he earned that one. When Stephen Curry won his twice, I feel like he won, he deserved that one. Russell Westbrook might be the one where I think that that probably could have went LeBron's way because that was a really good year for LeBron. Yeah, but, a lot of people wanted uh, Kawhi Leonard to win that one too. Yeah. So, But again, there's, there's just more talent, I feel, in the NBA. Top-tier talent right now. There's probably about five guys who every year you're like, yeah, it could be one of these guys. Back when Jordan was playing in the end of the 90s, it, there's no one was comparable there's no to the one, guy. Yeah, yeah you know? he stood up. That's why he never had a rival. LeBron's had rivals along the way. He's had Kevin Durant be his rival through his career. He's had Stephen Curry be the rival for, you know, who's the most popular guy in the NBA. There was never that conversation with Jordan. It was Jordan and everybody else as far as popularity and effectiveness on the court in the NBA when he was playing. Yeah, no, you're totally right. MVP. To lighten things up a little bit. So the whole pizza thing <laughs> – so how much do you believe of that? I don't – the way they looked into the camera and they spoke about the whole pizza situation and how the guys came up to the door and it's just like, oh, yeah, it was 10 o'clock. It was 10.30. We just were hungry. There was nothing open, so we ordered pizza from the only place that was open. It just – it seemed like they had it down pat to what – I don't know. I don't even know. The only thing I can think of was like a heroin overdose or something that might have happened. <laughs> but it's just like – I don't like that – 
that story to me isn't probably all true. I'm sure there's something else to it. Um, but why couldn't they just say it was the flu? I don't know. Why, why well, did they have to say well, it was? Well, be, because events think it really, was really happened. Uh, yeah. I mean, because events happened. What's the, they, what's the they pizza place, though? Well, I, well, that's uh, a couple things here. One, if you're poisoning Michael Jordan, would you send five guys to his room? No. No, you know? no, that's what I heard. It's like, and that's what I thought too. I'm like, why are there five people there? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know how much of that is pizza. true. And if that was to happen today, I mean, people would be going to jail. I mean, yeah, if you cough on a pizza lawsuits. right now, you know, you could get the coronavirus. So everyone would yeah. freak out, you know, we're in contactless delivery. And don't get me wrong. I mean, if you're ordering a pizza in Utah at like 11 o'clock at night and you're the only one open, you're probably not the best, the most well-run establishment, you know? You're probably not the premier pizza place that's available. So, you know, you might have some rats in the back and, and uh, some moldy cheese. And my guess is they probably did something to the cheese, you know? They probably had some cheese that was about to expire. They're like, hey, I think this yeah. is Jordan. Let's just throw it on there. Then he got sick. Imagine if that was you, though, and you were doing it as a joke, and then Jordan was sick the next day, and they're talking about it on TV, and you're like, oh, shit. The, you know, the yeah. Utah Five O is going to find me. You know, they would find me right away. But the thing is, if you try to look up this restaurant, it's like trying to find like, you ever just watch like a horror movie and they're trying to find um, like a, a murder victim or something or like um, an actual like suicide case. Like they're going to the library and they're trying to figure shit out and they can't find like documents because they're locked up. Like you can't <laughs> find anything on the pizza place. Because you like don't that. have the proper level of clearance, man. That's probably what it is, but it's the place has disappeared. I'm sure the next day it's it's disappeared. <laughs> it had to be. So I mean, yeah. I don't know how much validity there is to that, but I know that Jordan was sick, and I'll never forget that. Backing up real quick, yeah, game was. one of that of that series, when Jordan hit that shot and did the fist pump. Yeah, that is one of the most often imitated, but such a Jordan original. I mean, that was just him finally. I mean, he, he's pumped his fist and done that stuff in the past. But when he did yeah. that, it was in 1997. Shortly thereafter, Tiger Woods is doing it. Kobe does it in a couple series. Everybody started doing it because it was the ultimate, it, it was the ultimate yeah. sign of victory. It wasn't a sign of victory saying, you know, jumping around, you know, getting on top of the scoreboard or the scores table and, and, and yelling at the fans or jumping up and down like when he, when, uh, he made the shot over Craig Elo. It was just like the, the most supreme form of confidence. Like I made that shot, boom, game over, and I'm just walking away with my fit. I mean, it was the coolest thing, one of the coolest things I had ever seen in sport at that point. And, and then it the, was over Russell. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, for two years, he just that yeah. poor guy. But, I mean, I just wanted to mention that because I thought that thing was so unbelievable. I'm, to this day, I mean, I started doing it when we won games at Beer Pong. Yeah. See, I didn't even know that was I, – I thought that was something early on in his career. I didn't know that was till 1997 or where he actually did that. Yeah. I, I mean, thought he's he always just, done that. He was just at that point mature and, like, he'd done it so many times. It was just like – so, yeah, if I make yeah. a shot in Beer Pong and it's the game winner, I just do that when I walk away doing that. Yeah. And then all people the Utah, are impressed, huh? All the Utah fans start booing me. Uh, but yeah, then of course you have the the flu game, which again, this is why I hate to keep going down this alley. But I mean, if you talk about you know Goat LeBron Jordan, this is these are the things that make him mythical. This is what makes him a superhero. This who cares about LeBron? This is just what made Jordan such an amazing player. Is you go back. 
and you look at everything he did up to this point in his career, and it's fantastic. He's won three, three for three in NBA titles. He's scoring champion and defensive player in the, uh, the same year, the only guy to ever do it. You know, he's the all-star MVP and the slam dunk champion. He's done all, he has all these accolades. And that already makes him one of the best players of all time. But then you get these mythical stories of Jordan. And the flu game is one of those mythical stories where the guy is sick. You know, he's visibly just done. And like they talk about in the doc, like, you know, he's hanging his head. He's not using any bit of energy outside of playing basketball that he has to because he's conservative at all. And then once that whistle blows, he locks in and he plays. And he puts up – I mean, what did they say? He put up like 40-something points in that game, 38 points. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah. I think it was 38 points in 44 minutes played. I mean, that's the mythical nature of, of uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean, if LeBron was lucky enough to ever get sick or hurt, maybe we can see him do that because the man doesn't get sick, I don't think. <laughs> like, that, that body just doesn't quit, you know what I mean? So Yeah, but I've seen you're him, not gonna, I've seen him like, sprained his ankle in a game before. LeBron? It, yeah. Uh, it was in the, oh, I've never seen Oh, seen yeah. That? It was in the finals. I want to say it was two years ago. Well, remember after they lost the finals a couple years ago, he comes out wearing a cast? Yeah. No, I, I would never say anything against LeBron. You know, he's not going to finish a game if he doesn't have to. He's, he's quitting on his team so many times. Like, it's I'm not going to be that guy saying that, but I'm just saying. Quitting. What? It's a different kind of quitting. LeBron? Yeah, he just is like, he'll still be in the game, but he's just like, nope. No, that's what I'm saying. But, yeah. it's, I mean, I don't think there's any quit in MJ. That's just, it's LeBron. Quitting is just LeBron. In a way, I don't think you've ever seen that with MJ. So, I mean, what what kind of different kind of quitting do you mean? Like, just well, no. I mean, you're exactly right. There's no yeah. quit in, in either of them. But okay, well, there's no quit in MJ. Yeah. So I mean, there like, is, just there, LeBron there is some quit in LBJ. That. Yeah, and I feel bad. Maybe he's just you know he's he's a different kind of guy, and uh, I don't know. I, I'm All not right, going to well, defend the guy. Switch then. gears here. I thought the the part of the doc with Steve Kerr was unbelievably well done yeah it was okay i the thing is like so yeah his dad the whole dad thing i didn't really know that story it was really it's really crazy how he can be a teammate of mj just shows how much they didn't hang around them and like that's the difference between mj and lebron you know but steve kerr had the incident happen with his dad and i didn't know that either and it's just it's crazy to see him celebrating a championship with mj and that's probably the only moments they had together of joy because they had no relationship. And I'm sure, do you think MJ knew anything about his dad passing away? He might have. I don't think it's something that was common knowledge to him, though. I don't think so either. Yeah, I mean, again, that's the, the price of personal relationships. He probably didn't know a lot about his teammates, what made them tick, where they came from. Other than a college, if it was a rival college, he probably gave him shit, you know? So, I mean, uh, but I thought it was so uh, funny seeing – Steve Kerr sit there and be like, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. You know, he's like, so yeah, up. something I would he, do. Definitely. Oh, me too. Like, just like Jordan's looked at me and said, Hey man, if you're open, I'll, 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 I'll be ready. I'll be ready, Mike. You know, and yeah. then, then he hit that shot and that was an absolutely huge shot. And that's what, you know, sealed it. And then they won the fifth championship. And that's what he learned from Paxson, right? From Paxson being his teammate. It has to be just, yes. you know, you don't be have ready. to make the shot if it's double team, you know, you got those shooters out there. So mm -hmm. So then you go into the 98 season. We finally kind of finish that 98 season. And I, I never – I don't remember Dennis Rodman going and hanging out with Hulk Hogan on NWO, man, and WCW. No, I don't, honestly. I know he was at the whole wrestling thing, but I didn't know it was during that time. 
I didn't know, in, like, it was actually during the finals. I yeah, think it's hilarious. Yeah. Like, it who is does that? funny as shit. I, a badass. And honestly, like, you know, <laughs> hanging out with Hulk Hogan on that couch with all those women and stuff. And, you know, you're supposed to be at practice probably the morning of, and you're not there. Phil Jackson handles it perfectly. Because it's like, what are you going to do? It's the last series, last series of the season. It's the end of the NBA season. It's the last time they're all going to be together. What are, mm-hmm. are you going to get mad at them? No, he just let him do what he wants. And I'm sure that's not the first time that's happened. I know he let him go during the season where he gave him that the break where he had Michael had to actually go pull him from the bed. But I just think he let Rodman be Rodman. And, you know, it's like, what are you going to do in practice that he doesn't do on the court? And he already knows the game. He knows what to do. He knows, he knows his game. So there's nothing you can teach him for, like, the last few games of the series. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. In the middle of the NBA Finals, he's on WCW. You know, I, I didn't see it because yeah. I was a WWF guy at the time. I didn't watch wheelchair oh, wrestling. Yeah. yeah, DDP. I Actually, I met DDP when I was little. It was really frightening. But, <laughs> yeah, um, I know everyone was WWF back then. But so, so, again, just a very interesting series. They lose that first game in Utah. And yeah. you kind of feel like this might be it because – they, they said it very briefly, but I definitely remember this about that season. The Bulls did not beat the Jazz that year. They went 0-2 against him. Oh, no. And then they lost the first game. And I remember in my head, I'm like, oh, shit, this, this could be it, you know? Yeah. Jordan's tired. He's old. Pippen was starting to have a little bit of those back issues, which really started to show their, uh, their colors in games five and six of the season. Uh, yeah. Robin was already kind of, you know, on his way out athletically. He's still a tenacious re- rebounder, but, you know, he kind of lost a step. So I, was, I remember thinking in 98, I'm like, shit, man, are the Jazz going to beat the Bulls? And then game two, you know, they come out and they, they beat them and then they wallop them in game three. And, you know, then all, you get all the way to game six. And, again, one of the most legendary games ever. The, uh, a great exclamation point for Jordan in his career. And they're yeah. actually they're going to be showing it on – I think it's on Wednesday – and I actually watched something on ESPN Plus last night. Uh, Phil Jackson uh, doing Detail, which was Kobe Bryant's show. Oh, that'd be and great. It's a great watch. It's 33 minutes long. He's just breaking down all the offensive sets throughout the entire game six and really uh, explaining how they both teams ran their offenses and such. And it was it's a really good watch. If you have ESPN Plus, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, but tell me about your thoughts on game six. Um, well, so the whole thing going into the series, so they lost – they're 0-2 in the season, but that's every team. That's the Phoenix Suns. So the Phoenix Suns will actually they'll win every game or go three and one against a team like the Spurs. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, they're playing in the playoffs. And the Suns actually, I remember they pulled out that game with Stephon Marbury, where Marbury hit that three to win the game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, like, do we have a chance as we beat them in the regular season? And no, we don't. Because the regular season, it's like I said, so the Bulls are at that point to where they're not going to blow teams out because they're just going to hang in there and then give it, give all their energy and the, all that they have left in the end to win the game. And that's what it was in the series. So uh, it was surprising to me when the Bulls were kind of acting crazy. I mean, you saw MJ kind of messing around. They showed him messing around more going into game five it's like oh yeah we got this game in chicago yeah. but come on he's he always did that shit but then they show up before that game just to show like oh he was way overconfident and he was just having too much fun but i mean come on that, he, i think mj did that a lot and they just added that in there i just think um rocking his beats by dre that's that's just basketball though yeah but that's 
Oh yeah, those headphones, man. But <laughs> that I think CD that's just, player. <laughs> yeah, but that's just basketball, I think, to where it's it's inevitable for teams to have a letdown. I just it happens constantly. And I, I know Malone had that game, but still I I just think Chicago thought they were gonna win. They did that against Phoenix. They thought they were gonna win against Phoenix and then it didn't happen. They went back to Phoenix and then they went back to Utah this time. It's not a big deal to them. They know they can handle business wherever. One thing you talk about messing around. I wish they would have showed them playing cards more. There was like five second clip of him playing cards on the plane. I'm like, shit, man, can you just show me that oh, for like 10 minutes? I love that. I would have loved that for 10 minutes. Just That's watch what I'm him. Saying. And I just want the interviews with yes. MJ and I just want behind the scenes stuff. I don't want anything to That's do with I the want. game. I don't want to watch highlights of the game. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's a great doc. We know the cameras. story now. Can we, we know get like st- two more episodes of just can, behind the scenes footage? Yeah, we can watch the games on YouTube. I want to see behind the scenes shit. Even if it's three minute episodes, I saw that and I thought of you, and I was like, "They're showing them you know, I love tra- traveling." I think they were traveling to Utah for games for game six. Yeah, they're, they're just on, playing cards. They're on the plates. I'm like, I'm like, man, I wanted to see what his hand was and how he was playing, what game he was playing. Yeah, it's like, why did you have those cameras on the plane? Like, I know MJ was helping edit this, and like he didn't let a lot of stuff go, and it's it's disappointing because I wanted to see more. I don't think maybe I would have changed my mind about him a little bit, but still, I wanted to see more, dude. But again, game six, I think, once again, fortifies the mystical nature that was Michael Jordan. Taking that team on his back, knowing that Scottie Pippins was hurt, and knowing using his brain and knowing that his legs were gone. I mean, you could see it with his shots. They're coming up short. Costas is saying it the whole time. You know, when, when, when you're tired, you're, you're missing them short. And, yeah. and using his mind to win that game. Just being like, listen, as long as we keep this close, I have an opportunity to win this game for my team. And then they're down three with 41 seconds left, and he goes right to the basket, which is the same thing he did against Indiana when in game seven when they were uh, – it was a close game as well. Jordan's like, you know what, I'm just going to score quick because I can. You know, my jump shot's not working. Champions adjust. I'm going to the rim. And then he, again, he uses his mind. They keep running the same play. And what's really good in that Phil Jackson detail is they talk about how that play is the bread and butter of the Jazz offense. And they've been running this play for, God, how many years? I mean, Carl Malone and John Stockton played 1,584 games together. I mean, so they had plays down – and they, they could probably run half their offense with their eyes yeah, closed. Yeah. Fun side note, they won 64% of their regular season games together. They only won 49% of their playoff games together in all their years together. So Jordan knows that this play is most likely going to come because that's the basis of their offense. And he just doesn't collapse weak side. And he steals the ball. And then he goes and he makes a shot. I mean, so for the last 41 seconds of the game, the only bull to touch that ball is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. He, and I love how Rodman's like, He's not giving it to Paxson. He's not giving it to Kerr. Scotty's like, just get the hell out of the way. And then he yeah. makes the most iconic shot of his career-ish. It's either that yeah. one or the Craig Elo shot, I'd say, are his most iconic, right? Oh, yeah, this is two. Yeah, and I thought before, like, I really got into basketball, I thought both of them were against Utah because Cleveland's colors look like Utah. So I'm like, wait, <laughs> I thought they were playing – I thought that was for the championship against Utah, both of them. But, um, dude, so – the thing is, like, where these teams are, they go up the, against the Bulls in game six, and they've never been to game seven in the championship. Uh-huh. So these these teams, I mean, they think they've been in a situation against other teams, but when you can go against the Bulls, it's, like, 100 times greater. And then you're in game six, and 
the teams, I just think when they go in these situations against the Bulls, they just never been there. No team can ever get to game seven. Yep. And I just think it's so hard for teams against the Bulls because you're playing the Bulls. It's game six, winner go home. And just something happens where these teams that are playing the Bulls, they just can't get it done. And I know like Jordan knew the play and stuff, but it's just like, come on. Like, what is, what was it? Exact was it? I think it was just more mental with these teams that couldn't get over the hump than it was a lot of. Of course, MJ is great. I'm just saying a lot of the mental with these teams, especially Utah, where they just would kill themselves. I feel like I know you said they kind of snuck into the championship, but like, how do you not put up a better fight? I know it's just game six, but how can you not get to game seven? Any of these teams, it's just it's crazy to think about that. It's because they just couldn't get to that point. Well, I mean, they snuck into the championship in '97, '98. I mean, they deserve to be there without a doubt. I mean, that team was 70 or 62 and 20. I mean, they were, they were a good team, but there's a couple reasons why they couldn't get there. And I'll tell you one, it's the mystical nature of Michael Jordan. Yeah. It's overcoming that thing. You know, I mean, you have an older brother, so you know what it's like, like trying to beat your older brother at something has got to be the hardest thing because there's that thing that he's your older brother yeah. that you're always fighting against. I don't yeah. know. I'm the oldest brother of my three little brothers. So they, uh, they've always had that against me. I'm the Jordan in that relationship to them. Just like your older brothers, the Jordan to your relationship. So if you're trying to be him at basketball, even if it's close, even if you're about to win, it's, uh, it's still tough. It's like, yeah, it's like beating Brad at golf. Like I did. It it can, uh, yeah. If you cheated and then if I'm just shook, I did not (laughs) cheat. I never cheat at golf. One, one, what is it? One point you won by or whatever you call it. One stroke. One stroke. Yes. But here's the other reason they couldn't get past him. You ready? Because Reggie Miller's right. He's Black Jesus. Yeah, I didn't like his nicknames. <laughs> I know, Black Cat. I didn't like Black Cat. I thought it was like every time he said Black Cat, I was like, oh, like that's not very cool. Well, I, 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 I was Black just thinking those little cool. firecrackers, Black Cats. Oh, i never seen those. Oh, yeah, I just think throw- Black Cat, I'm like, eh. I like Black Jesus is fine. But <laughs> what, what, wasn't there another name? I forget what his third nickname for him was, but ah, none of them were any good. You know? Yeah, they're all right. But again, I mean, that's that's what you were going against, Black Jesus. That thing, that thing that you could not get past because, you know, you knew that somehow, some way, it was going to come out on top. So yeah, it's but again, that was Game Six is a legendary game, which brings me to kind of you know the end of the doc when they were talking about how the team broke up, and what was interesting is that they gave Jordan the iPad and they showed him what Reinsdorf said. And, you know, he, he was just kind of like, one, I've never had this conversation with Jerry Reinsdorf, which is actually kind of interesting that they never had that conversation. Don't you think? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. There's and, no way. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how that conversation. I think everyone occurred. just wanted out of that, but go ahead. But what they didn't do is they didn't show him what Phil Jackson said and how Phil Jackson said, no, I was, we were done. Yeah. Phil Jackson's the one who chose to walk away. Which is kind of and, selfish for him, if you think about it, just because like he's a coach, he can coach for thirty more years. Jordan only has about four more years left in his prime, if you will. So I mean, it's like who's he to kind of be the guy to walk away? But him yeah. and Krauss couldn't get along, and Reinsdorf said, "Like I want him back. Let's do this again." So everybody wanted to come back, except Phil Jackson. And, you think so? And Jerry Kraus, because Jerry wanted to prove that he had big balls and he put it all together. Yeah, but can you imagine like paying Pippen that much money and like having him around? I guess it would be cool just for, 
you know, he'll be a bull his whole career. Um, well, but that's too much money. But that's a great point. You know, you look at what are the reasons why they broke up other than Phil Jackson saying, no, we're done here. We've done the last dance. We've burned the, tr- you know, all of our thoughts yeah. in a coffee can and what have you. Yeah. Pippen was going to get paid and he did the next year. I think he signed a $70 million contract in a sign and trade that sent yeah. him to Houston. Dennis Rodman was released at the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he was done. I mean, there's no way after the shenanigans that he pulled off in 98, you were going to get a productive Rodman in 99. He want, he was done. He didn't yeah, want to play. Yeah. I mean, he was too far into his celebrity to be a productive basketball player at that point. Yeah. Steve Kerr was gone. Luke Longley came to Phoenix. Uh, so, I mean, that team, let's say they bring them all back. What happens that up that following summer? The NBA lockout season. Yeah, the lockout. I was going to say so what, so. So what happens? They have to play the next 50 games. Once they bring the season back, they, they played 50 games in three months. There's no way that Bulls team, as old as they were, with Pippen and his back problems and no Rodman and no rebounding force, stood a chance. So even if Jordan's like, yeah, you know, I wanted to bring it back. I thought, I thought let's go for seven. In my opinion, they wouldn't have won seven. And I love that they went out the way that they did. Because, yes, because it, it's a story. I mean, it, they, we just watch a ten-part doc on that season, and that's the exclamation point on that story. It's, it's, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Your Plus, player, yeah. the game-winning shot in Game Six to win the win the finals. I mean, it's just like it doesn't get better, right? No, it doesn't. Because okay, so if you pay Pippen for one year, like he was saying, you can bring everyone back on a one-year contract. Mm-hmm. Bullshit! If you bring back Pippen for one year. And then he has injury problems. Like, I know he didn't perform like he was in Chicago when he went to the Rockets. Yeah. So, it's like – so, if he plays one year in Chicago and something happens where he gets injured, then he's never going to get paid. And then also, Michael – like, okay, so I think they did the smartest thing just just calling it quits. Plus, at the beginning of the season, they said this is the last year. So, how can you do this the whole year, win a championship, like, all right, never mind, come back. It makes no sense to me. It's like – Phil did the right thing and walking away. The whole team, I think, I don't think they would have won probably again. Maybe they would have because the NBA still wasn't as great. Maybe they could pull one out. But I think the whole the whole key was Scottie Pippen probably would have never came back. Because Scotty wanted to get paid, and yes. he would never do a one-year deal with the Bulls. He was plighted for too long, and this was his opportunity to make some money. So he ends up in Houston. He played there for one year. Uh, he was 33 years old for that year in Houston. And then he went on to Portland for four years and it was actually a part of some really good Portland teams, but yeah, was, I remember that, but he was part, he was a role player. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he was a starter. Don't get me wrong. He started 82, 64, 60, 60, 58, what have you. But I mean, he wasn't the primary force on those teams. That's back when they had like Cliff Robinson was on those teams, Stacy Ogman and, you know, Dale Davis and, uh, I think Sean Kemp was actually on one of those teams, Detlef Shrimp, you know, so they had a bunch of old guys on those teams, but they were productive. They almost made it to the finals one year. But, uh, but again, to your point, he, he's the guy who's been played. He's the guy who sacrificed making money for so long for this team to be successful. There's no way he's going to be like, yeah, I'll come back for another, you know, five mil so we can pay Michael 33 more. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen. And again, then all the events happen in the NBA and it just makes it easier for it to happen. Cause I remember when it happened, I was, I was upset, you know, losing Jordan out of the league in his prime, his second prime, if you will, is, is tough. But then the 99 season happens. And who won the 1999 NBA Finals? Do you remember? Uh, the Knicks. Nope. The they, 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 yeah, the Spurs beat the Knicks. Yeah. And, and, and how are the Bulls going to compete with Tim Duncan and David Robinson down low? 
Yeah. No, there's I, no yeah. way. Then they become six and one. And then Jordan loses some of that mythical nature. The fact that we got to see him go out winning the way that he did, just like John Elway did, is so much better than, go, than watching guys slowly disintegrate and lose their athletic ability. Yeah, either way, honestly, for me, I just, because the whole thing is, I like to watch Tom Brady still. I think Tom Brady, what he's doing is awesome, and he could Absolutely. have a terrible year. Even last year, he wasn't as good. But it's like, I still want these athletes to play when they want to play. Michael Jordan, I think he he had the opportunity, but I think everyone, you just have to realize how much, how tired they were. And I think, yes, what would it matter if they won a seventh one? I mean, of course, I don't think anybody would ever get seven championships. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> other than Bill Russell. Of yeah, course. Bill Russell has 11. Yeah, I know. Other than Bill Russell, but I'm just saying, like. I was looking it up, like, the, all the guys who are on those teams, they all have eight. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of old Celtics who <laughs> have, like, eight, eight rings. But I get yeah, what you're saying, though. Them, right? but, but, but look at the weight, though. You know, what does Jordan achieving seven do versus Jordan losing one? I don't like it. I, do, I don't either. I, I think, think it that they messy. went out the appropriate time. Yeah. And it's too I'm, messy of a record, six and one. I'm glad that Jordan came back because he came back and I got to see him play. I went to a game and when he was on the Wizards and he actually hit the game winner against the Suns. And I want to say February of 2002, if I remember correctly. And I remember right there, I was with my buddy Brad. And we went to that game together, and I was like, wow, I can, I can die a happy man. It sucked that the Suns lost, but you know what? I got to see Jordan hit a game winner in person. That's pretty, bad. That's pretty awesome. It was fucking awesome. Yeah. So a uh, couple other things I want to talk about just real quick on episodes 9 and 10 is I do love the part where uh, <laughs> you, you see two old NBA legends just giving each other shit, and that's after Larry Bird loses to Michael Jordan in the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals. And Jordan walks up to him. And he's just like, you bitch, fuck you, you know, go enjoy some golf. You know, it's just like, it's just funny that again, I'll, I'll, I'll give my last thoughts on the last dance right now. The winner was emotional Jordan. The loser was that behind the scenes footage for me because things like that, those cameras rolling that entire season, man. And I got to see card. I saw Jordan play cards for five seconds. I got to see a couple little interactions with him and Larry uh, when during the all-star game and then at the end of the Eastern conference finals, him and magic during the all-star game, a uh, little bit of him calling his teammates out a uh, little bit, you know, little bits here and there, him in his, his room being isolated. And although they were nice uh, insights into that team and Michael Jordan that year, as we said earlier, I wish we could have like an episode or two of just behind the scenes footage and Jordan interviews. Because if I get an episode or two of that, that this doc becomes a 10. And I feel like if this doc was eight episodes long with the season stuff, and then the last two episodes were just what I was talking about, it's an easy 10. So for me, I give it a nine. Hmm. Well, ditto. I just give it an eight, but for the same reasons. Yeah. So, well, we, we're not arguing on that one. I don't think we need to argue Jordan is the GOAT. I think now the question becomes, who is second place for the GOAT? Oh, Jordan. Jordan is incorrect. Oh my God. What did we learn over these past six weeks? (laughs) LeBron's the second, of course. But do you go 2008 LeBron versus 2013 LeBron? Who's the better of those two? Oh man, Uh, LeBron LeBron right now, honestly, I know he's lost some leap, but he's just amazing. I meant 2018 2018 LeBron or 2013 LeBron. I would go the most recent, but even like last year, even like last year, even though he got hurt, I don't, I don't know. I just, the thing is I can't go off of anything I haven't really watched. 
and I can't grade like Michael Jordan or I can't have Larry Bird up there or else I can't have Magic Johnson because I've never really watched them. I can watch highlights, but it's not the same. No, it's not experiencing. It's, just, it's not. I just I have to go with who I watch. So of course I'm gonna put um I'm gonna put freaking LeBron second, but MJ's number one just because everyone says he's number one, so he's number one. <laughs> but you don't believe it? No, I think he is. I think he is. But there's a lot of reasons why he might not be. And there's a lot of reasons why he might be. But it's like, why do we keep going back and forth on this thing? He's just number one. And I mean, we can argue all night. I mean, we could, but he's number one and LBJ is number two. So let me ask you this question. Now that this documentary has been, you know, seen by the world a million times over. I mean, what, like what they say, like 6 million viewers on episode seven or something i mean the the numbers on this are just ridiculous how excited are you to see basketball when it comes back after all these players who've been sitting around in quarantine watching this do you think that we're going to get a more focused nba player a more competitive nba player somebody you know players who are more in tune with what it takes to be great i think honestly like i thought this before and i said this before the doc i think that we'll get like five or 10 games with, yeah, they're going to be very motivated. They're going to be MJ like, but it's going to end. And they're just going to be the same players as they were before. And honestly, on a Phoenix Suns note, I'm nervous to watch the Suns again, <laughs> but I just, I'm always nervous to watch them and see how things unfold. But for players like Giannis, you don't have to worry about that guy. You don't have to worry about Russell Westbrook. Harden is who he is. So you already have the all-star talent. You already have the superstar talent. I think those are players are already who they are. They might give a little bit more effort. Maybe, I don't know, this might just drive players to do better. Like, I don't know who it would be. Like Luka Doncic. Devin Booker. Or, yeah, Devin Booker. But Booker is already, he's already at a point this season where we've seen so much oh shit moments to where he's still improving. So we don't know if it's because of the doc or it's just because he is taking his game to the next level because of everything he puts into the game. Because I, I don't think he takes a night off. I don't think he, you know, he, he's in there practicing all the time. He doesn't take anything for granted. I think he's uh, a player that doesn't need this kind of motivation. I think there's a lot of players that might, but you're going to see them only with five or ten games give it their all like MJ and then fall off and back to where they were before. Well, I hope you're wrong. I hope that no, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of NBA players have watched this and go, you know what? I can be a more competitive individual. I can give a shit more. You know, maybe yeah. Joel Embiid can learn a thing or two from this. It's going to be tough. Yeah, it is. You're right. But uh, I don't know if he can change these guys. I just, I think they're just so, they're not mature, but they're just so matured now to where if they're 22, 23, they, of course they got a couple of years to be, you know, that matured stay at 25 to where we really know who they're going to be. Mm-hmm. But I just think these players are living the lives they want to live. I think DeAndre Aiden has more growing up to do, of course, but I don't blame him. He's had a rough childhood no one ever knows about. And I think, like, players like Booker maybe can see, like, hey, this is how MJ was. Maybe I shouldn't be that way. Maybe I want to be remembered a different way and help out DeAndre Aiden or, you know, anybody else like Mikkel Bridges on the team in a different way to where they can look at me back in a documentary to when I'm winning championships with the Suns and be like, you know what? Booker was a great leader, but he was an asshole. So, yeah. Any other thoughts you have on the last dance now that we've reviewed all of the episodes? Um, you know, the only thing we hit on is just what the Suns can take away from it. But I just explained that. But 
I thought it was good. I just, I, I'm not going to say it again. I mean, you even touched on it too, to where I feel like we were promised something else. It was good for people that love basketball. We love basketball, but I just thought it'd be something different. And it really wasn't, it was good. It's just a lot of stuff they could have hit on. And maybe we'll get a documentary in the future that will actually be something that I want. <laughs> well, and my last thoughts on the last dance are, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed the experience of it. I enjoyed counting down to Sunday nights in order to watch it. You know, uh, it, it's a trip down memory lane for me and it was thoroughly enjoyable. I'm glad that during these very weird times that we're living in, that I had something to, to look forward to and enjoy. And I think that's a, uh, you know, I said enjoy like six times and that's what I did. I enjoyed it. Oh so. dude, don't even, I've been terrible this podcast talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, well on that note, I will, I shall end this podcast. I'd like to thank the Jamsters for tuning in and listening to John and Matthew's thoughts Ooh. on the last dance in its totality. Now that it's complete you know, thank you for doing that. Uh, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Suns Jam. You follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can, you can follow Matthew follow on Twitter. Matthew Lissy at Matthew Lissy. And you can email the show, Suns Jam Session at gmail.com. Yeah, that's all. You know, I, I think I'm a little last danced out now. So I shall Ooh. stop talking right about now. Well, I can never stop dancing, but the world has changed. So either go home and or stay home and love your family. Mm-hmm.